Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to episode number 141 of the Draft Analysts, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm your host, Chris Tripodi, and with me, as always, is Tony Pauline, and we're back with another look ahead to the 2020 college football season and the 2021 NFL Draft. This week, we'll be breaking down the prospects to watch from the American Athletic Conference, which is going to look just a little bit different this year. Isn't that right, Tony? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, no UConn. Uh, which I, you know, some people could say that's it's addition by subtraction, uh, the way UConn's been uh, playing la- uh, played lately the past couple of years. Uh, but you know, as people probably know, UConn basketball wanted to go back to the Big East to the uh, the glory days of what was the Big, Big East basketball with Jim Calhoun and, and even the years before that. And the AAC said, well, if you if you're uh, going to take your basketball team to the Big East, you can take your football team and go. You know, take a hike, and that's basically what happens. So UConn football is uh, ba- basically a, a, a man with no nation at this point in time because now they're independent. Yeah, and, and obviously that leaves 11 teams here in the AAC. We don't know what it's going to look like, certainly beyond the 2020 season. You know, there's talk about bringing in a football-only team and then trying to recruit a basketball team that could kind of compete uh, with the standing that UConn brought to the basketball scene. But I mean, in the end, it's probably going to be tough for the AAC to do something like that. Who knows kind of where it leaves it, but at least for this year, it leaves it with just 11 teams. Well, if you remember, going back to the Big East, what the Big East did with Notre Dame years ago was they let Notre Dame came, come in as a basketball-only school. Uh, and Notre Dame wanted to keep their uh, football independent, which they did. And eventually the Big East had enough of that, and they said, forget about it, and they threw Notre Dame basketball out. But, you know, when you look at UConn, specifically Randy Etzel. I mean, it's how the mighty have fallen and how they have fallen so quickly. I mean, 1998, they announced, UConn announces Randy Etzel as their head coach. They go division one the following season. They quickly get uh, build up a competitive program. I mean, it's more reminiscent of what we've seen with some of the Florida schools, where, whether it be Central Florida, South Florida, Florida Atlantic. 2009, they beat Notre Dame. 2010, they win the Big East and they go and play in the Fiesta Bowl where they got beat by Oklahoma. And if you remember that story, uh, after that game, the UConn players hopped on the plane to go home. Randy Etzel, everyone thought he was going to get the Syracuse job because he played at Syracuse. He got his coaching start at Syracuse. Well, he hopped on a plane, flew to Washington, D.C., and signed on as the head coach of Maryland, which everyone at the time thought was really strange. Uh, the program at Maryland really went from bad to worse under Etzel. Uh, he was dismissing all, uh, and kicking all kinds of players out of the program for minor infractions that didn't fit his, uh, they didn't fit his system and, and his character uh, quota, character buildup, character makeup, whatever you want to call it. And all he did was lose games at Maryland. He signs a three-year extension in 2015 before the 2015 season. Two months into the 2015 season, he gets fired from Maryland. 
sits on the sidelines in 2016, returns to UConn in 2017. Who says you can't return home again? And people figure, okay, this is, this is a great fit. He's going to turn the UConn program around as he did, you know, when, he, when he, they went to Division I-A. Didn't happen. Uh, first year, 2017, they win three games. 2018, they go 1-11. They beat Rhode Island by seven points. Last year, they win two games. Uh, including a three-point loss over Wagner. I, I mean, it, it, it's painful to watch. I remember during the 2018 season when they were getting stomped week after week, I said, you know, UConn's got to cut their losses and just fire Randy Etzel. And UConn fans responded to my tweet by saying, well, you know, he's had some good recruiting classes. Let him get his players in. And I got to tell you, you know, <laughs> I, when I watched the film, because I watched the UConn film as part of the, uh, the AAC, because there, there were so multiple games there, and, and it's easier to do so many teams on a repetitive basis. When I watched the UConn film, I mean, there's really – I don't see much hope for the future. You know, I, I don't see a team that's really going to be able to turn it around. When I watched Matt Pert as a sophomore, you could tell that Matt Pert, was going to be a real good player and a potentially very good NFL prospect as a sophomore. I don't see any of that from any of the sophomores or, or uh, a redshirt freshman or, or even the juniors at UConn. Their top, their, their top NFL uh, prospect or their only real legitimate NFL prospect is a safety, Tyler Coyle. And he's going to be playing a, tra- a transfer to uh, Purdue as a graduate transfer. He's going to be playing in the Big Ten for the Boilermakers this year. And now that we have spent more time uh, talking about UConn than we will probably about any other team that's currently still in the AAC conference, we will uh, move on to take a look here ahead to the 2020 season. Uh, last week when we discussed the MAC, we talked about how it was a down draft year for the conference, but for the AAC, it was actually an improvement from 2019, at least in terms of quantity. They had 17 players drafted in April compared to 11 the prior year, five picks on the first two days compared to four in 2019. Obviously, no first-rounders like Ed Oliver or second-rounders like Rock Essen and Tristan Hill the year prior. Just a bunch of third-rounders, Antonio Gibson, Josh Jones, Matt Hennessy, Josiah Deguerra, and the aforementioned Matt Pert, one of Tony's favorite prospects from this show last year. Obviously, in that group, Tony, there are three offensive linemen. Is it that or anything else that's going to be kind of looking like a trend heading towards April 2021? Well, not April 2021. The trend, as we'll get into, is the offensive linemen, but they're all underclassmen. I mean, when you look at it from a senior point of view, a senior class point of view, you're looking at potential late second-day choices, and that is even up for discussion among scouts. Now, starting at the top with the conference's top team in recent seasons, and that is the UCF Knights' 16 draft picks over the last 10 years, a lot of those towards the back half of that decade, and that includes first-rounders like Blake Bortles in 2014, Rashad Perriman in 2015, and Mike Hughes in 2018. No first-rounders coming for 2021, though, but they do have a couple potential day-two picks in the secondary, who we discussed on the show last year as well, safety Richie Grant and quarterback Brandon Moore. Grant? Took a step back last season on the stat sheet, had 109 tackles, six interceptions, and three forced fumbles in 2018. Those numbers dropped all the way to 78 tackles, one pick, and one forced fumble in 2019. Did break up eight passes. He's a player who can play both the run and the pass, as kind of seen in those numbers as well. Brandon Moore, on the other hand, tore his ACL in the season opener last year, brought the 2018 film. It's a solid player with good size and the ability to make plays on the ball. 
And that duo is joined by senior cornerback Aaron Robinson and senior safety Antoine Collier, who are potential late-round selections in the secondary as well. Tony, break down this loaded back end and some other prospects of notes for Central Florida. Yeah, a, a lot of dissension in uh, scouts I've spoken with about those players. I have Richie Grant uh, graded as a third-round pick. The stats may have been off a little bit last year, but he didn't have a bad year. He goes sideline to sideline. He's very explosive. Doesn't have classic safety size. He goes under five foot eleven, under two hundred pounds, but he's quick getting to the action. He likes to get involved. I like his all-around game, like you said, good against the pass as well as the run. Brandon Moore, off the 2018 film, I uh, thought Brandon Moore was the next uh, Mike Hughes to come from the Central Florida program. He's a feisty cornerback with solid size. He's got Mike Hughes types of ball skills. Uh, some scouts grade him as a free agent. I think you go back and you look at the 2018 film. He is a second day prospect all day to me. Uh, Aaron Robinson, another guy that's got solid size, speed numbers, about five foot 11, 185 pounds, runs in the low four fives. He's got some uh, terrific ball skills. So it's going to be a uh, secondary heavy class uh, that's coming out of Central Florida. Antoine Collier, uh, another uh, senior safety that I think is underrated by scouts. Decent size. More of a run defender, but can also play the pass. And they also have two uh, wide receivers to keep an eye on, guys that are going to be potential late-round picks in Trey Nixon, uh, as well as Marlon Williams. Both nice-size, possession-type of receivers. Now moving on to Cincinnati here, who beat out UCF for the AAC East title in 2019. But otherwise, a little bit behind the Knights' 12 draft picks the past decade. And before Josiah DeGuerra's surprise rounds three selection in April, since he hadn't placed a player on day two since Travis Kelsey in 2013. And this year, they are unlikely to add to that list. Senior defensive end Michael Pitts was the top-graded senior on the Cincinnati board right now, a two-year starter with nine-and-a-half sacks over those two seasons. Good athlete, but really lacks the size to play with his hand in the dirt at the next level. Whereas junior defensive end Majai Sanders on the opposite side of Pitts, similar athlete, but a little bit bigger, had four sacks last season as a true sophomore better draft grade than Pitts already has, and also adds some room to rise. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's got growth potential. He's got upside potential. Pitts, who plays defensive end, could be more of a 3-4 outside linebacker. Keep an eye on Elijah Porter. A lot of scouts really don't like him, but he's an explosive interior lineman who could be used as a conventional tackle or potentially a three-technique tackle. A lot of scouts like James Wiggins. The safety, he's got decent size. He's ferocious, but he missed most of last year uh, with injury. You know, the thing about Cincinnati, when, when you watch him on film uh, and you break him down from a next-level perspective, and then you see the results that they get on game day, to me it just proves what a great coach Luke Fickle is. And he's eventually going to get a big-time job. Uh, it would be ironic if Luke Fickle, uh, who was uh, at Ohio State, uh, was the assistant coach, uh, was the interim coach for a while at Ohio State, then lost out, eventually places, replaces Jim Harbaugh at Michigan if, if Harbaugh can't get the job done. Because I think of Fickle is just a tremendous job. Uh, it's just a tremendous coach. And you look at the job he does. I, I mean, he doesn't have great talent, but that Cincinnati team is competitive year in and year out and always exceeds expectations. Absolutely. And we'll be back in just a moment to look at the rest of the AAC and for this word from our sponsor. Late last week, 
we got word that the NBA was set to return in Orlando at the end of July. And that's music to the ears of sports fans around the country dying for both entertainment and wagering options. Yes, Chris, while you're waiting this out at home with us, although there's only a few states still waiting it at home, you can still have fun betting with our partners at betonline.ag. Well, soon we'll have the NBA, soon we'll have the NHL, hopefully soon we'll have the MLB. Maybe, Chris, you can give us a little insight on that. And there's still other avenues to bet on at BetOnline. Hundreds of games, events, as well as additional sports. I may have some info, Tony, but I got to keep that a little close to the vest. But what I don't have to keep close to the vest is that NASCAR is back. There are Madden and NBA 2K simulations available. UFC is obviously going on, as well as BetOnline's online casino with poker and blackjack. And also be sure to check out the final dance with roundtable interviews from ex-Chicago Bulls Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, Craig Hodges, and Ron Harper as they discuss the Michael Jordan documentary in full. There's still plenty of fun to be had. So go to betonline.ag and use our promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use our promo code MYPOD100. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. Now head over to East Carolina, team that had a poor 2019 campaign, 1-7 record in conference, and really their draft record over the past decade is just as poor, just three players selected, all of them receivers and none since 2017 when Zay Jones went in the top 40. And frankly, his success at the NFL level hasn't really matched that draft pick either. But ECU might have a player drafted next April, but it won't continue that pass catcher trend that I mentioned because senior guard DeAnthe Smith is ECU's top pro prospect. This is the second straight year we've mentioned him as the top prospect. He's a two-year starter. At left tackle, honorable mention, all AAC pick last season. Solid player and a potential late-round pick. Unlikely to stick on the blind side, though. Might have to move inside to guard. Senior linebacker Aaron Ramsor is also another player we discussed last year at this time. Definitely on the smaller side, and he tore his ACL at the end of last October. Assuming a smooth recovery, though, he's a player who makes an impact in pursuit as well as making plays downhill and in the backfield. Yeah, Smith has been a guy that's – been a solid lineman at, at East Carolina for the past three years, as you said, at left tackle. He's fundamentally sound. He's patient. Doesn't have great mobility or agility, which is why I think he's going to ultimately be pushed into guard. A lot of scouts grade him as a tackle. I have him as a guard. I could see him as a shrine game invite, maybe a senior bowl type of guy if he has a big season. Ramsor is going to need a big year, but if he gets back to prior playing form to what we saw in 2018 – with that speed, you know, he's got he, – he's basically what the NFL wants in linebackers these days. He's undersized. He's fast in a straight line uh, or as well as laterally, and he gets from point A to point B in, in no time at all. Now, Houston has had 11 selections in the last 10 drafts, and five of those were cornerbacks, two of which went in round one, DJ Hayden and William Jackson, plus Ed Oliver in 2019 for a trio of first-rounders for the Cougars. They do have a decent chance of adding a sixth corner to the list next April in senior Demarion Williams, but the top prospect on Houston's roster is senior wide receiver Marquez Stevenson. He's led the team in receiving the last two years, nine touchdown catches in each of those seasons. He has great speed to get downfield, over 15 career yards per catch, a bit under 200 pounds though, and doesn't really play bigger than his aforementioned size. Now Demarion Williams joins senior safety Deontay Anderson in the Houston secondary, 
Williams is smaller, decent ball skills, holds up against the run, though, just all right. While Anderson, more of a strong safety type, had a big 2018 season, but struggled a bit last year in 2019. Tony, break down the Cougars for us. Yeah, I mean, Stevenson is a guy that could, if he has a big season, if Dana Holgrenson, the head coach, uses him correctly, he's a guy that could move up draft boards. He gave serious consideration to entering this last April's draft. He probably is going to time in the four threes, and he plays that fast. He's also a real good receiver. But as you said, you know, you said he doesn't play to his size. He's just a smaller guy, and while, you know, he gives effort, he just loses out in battles. He needs space to work. But he is a legitimate home run threat. And besides being a fast guy, he's also a solid receiver. You're just going to have to move him around, get him off press coverage, do those sorts of things. Deontay Anderson is a guy that I've seen flashes from the past two years, but I haven't seen a lot of consistency in his game. Six foot one. 200, uh, 221 pounds, as you said, a real good run defender who flashes ability in coverage. I've got him graded as a six-round choice. He could end up as an undrafted guy if he really doesn't step up his game and step up the consistency of his game. There are some scouts who feel that Demarion Williams is a seventh-round pick, a little bit undersized, solid ball skills, better facing the action in his own type system. I think it'll be nip and tuck on whether or not he gets drafted also uh, depends on how he plays on special teams. Keep an eye on the, on the Houston running back, Mobile Carr, who struggled with injuries last year, had a real good 2018 campaign. He's a bigger interior ball carrier with solid speed and some deceptive quickness as well with the ability to uh, kick it on the outside. You know, one guy that people on the outside really like that is not thought well of by scouts or by myself is Keith Corbin, the receiver. Uh, there were some people who thought coming into the 2019 season, Keith Corbin could be a second day pick. I never saw it on film. I think he's slow. He's not very quick. He sat out uh, most of last season. I think, in fact, I think he sat all of last season. I may, I may stand to be corrected on that. There was some talk he could leave the, uh, uh, the Houston program as a graduate transfer. He decided to stick around He's an average college receiver who I don't think has a big upside for the next level. Yeah, Keith Corbin only played five games last year, 11 yeah, catches, 192 you. yards, and, and two touchdowns. So really not, uh, really not second-day material based on those numbers and just not being able to see the field for the Cougars. We will move on here to Memphis, though, who has had 12 draft picks the past decade, the highest of which being the famous quarterback bust Paxton Lynch into any 16's first round. Seven of those picks – have come the last three drafts. So the Memphis program really looking up lately, and that includes four skill players, three of whom were dynamic running backs taken over the past two years. And that's a trend that should continue with redshirt sophomore running back Kenneth Gainwell. Certainly a possibility that he is in the 2021 draft, despite being an underclassman, since running backs rarely stay in school much longer than they have to. And Gainwell is a guy who really ran with the lead back duties after Patrick Taylor's injury early in 2019. He added 51 catches as well for over 2,000 total yards. So just a big season for Gainwell and definitely a guy to get excited for because he's a lot of fun with the ball in his hands and should be even more of a focal point on offense without Taylor and Antonio Gibson around. Junior offensive tackle Obina Easy stepped into the starting lineup in 2019 and impressed. Good size and length, moves well on his feet. Currently has a second-round grade, but there's a bit of room for growth there, isn't there, Tony? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Easy is a guy who really stands out to you on film. He's tall. He's got good size, but he's very mobile. He's got terrific footwork off the edge. 
Uh, he blocks with solid fundamentals. He's a terrific uh, pass protector for a bigger guy who's also effective in motion. So, as you said, I got uh, a second-round grade on easy. I could see him, if he continues to progress, add some strength to his game, moving into the top 42. You know, Kenneth Gainwell is a guy who really stands out on film, and he's sort of another version of Antonio Gibson in the sense that, you know, Gibson was a versatile skill player, made an impact primarily at receiver last year for Memphis, was used at running back. Gainwell is a guy who made an impact at running back, but was also a terrific pass catcher. You mentioned his statistics. I mean, on film, he plays to those uh, st statistics uh, catching the ball as a downfield threat. He's got a, an explosive burst. He's got adequate size. That probably goes just a shade under 190 pounds, but he's fast. He's quick. He sets up defenders and he makes a miss. Uh, I think a high upside. I have him graded as a fourth rounder right now. But again, what I do, especially with my younger guys is unless they just blow the, the socks off me, I kind of downgrade them purposely because I'm looking for development and progress in their game. Uh, Memphis also has two uh, safeties that kind of are, are contradicting styles. There's Le Leandre Thomas, who's a, uh, a sort of a thinner guy who's really good against the pass. And there's Sanchez Blake Jr., who's just a dominant run defending, knock your head off type of uh, safety. Got three more teams from the AAC coming up after this update from our sponsor. Breaking news. This pubic service announcement is brought to you by our new sponsor, manscaped.com. Tony, have you gotten your second haircut yet? I did, Chris. As a matter of fact, I got one yesterday. But rather than using the Manscaped tool, I went to a regular barber. I think my, my wife was a little bit freaked out cutting my hair with that Manscaped tool. So who knows? If we have another lockdown because of coronavirus breakout, uh, I may go back to using it for my head. Now, regardless of this usage here, millions of balls and apparently scalps as well, if there is another lockdown, are about to be nick-free thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin-safe technology. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code DRAFTANALYSTS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use our code D-R-A-F-T-A-N-A-L-Y-S-T-S. -A -A and as always, your balls, as well as my head, will thank you. Now we're coming out of that break with a look at the Naval Academy, just three draft picks since 2011. Two of them were college quarterbacks switching to new positions in Keenan Reynolds and Malcolm Perry this past April, and the other was a long snapper. So this is not a hotbed of NFL prospects by any means, and this year there's really only one prospect who's even close to the scouting radar, and that's linebacker Jacob Springer. Bit small, a former safety who moved to linebacker after his first year at Navy, has shown some ball skills in the past, but last year, 16 tackles for loss and eight sacks. So he showed his availability downhill and as a pass rusher too, but it's just hard to find an NFL fit for him due to his lack of size. Yeah. You know what they do at Navy is they put guys in positions where they can make plays for the Navy team because Navy is not going to get the greatest athletes. They're going to get the guys that, that work the hardest. They're going to get the guys that you know are going to give 150% while they're out on the field. And that's what Springer does. Uh, you know, uh, a guy like Springer could absolutely see him uh, at the Shrine game. It'll come down to, number one, does he want to play in the NFL in 2021? And more importantly, number two, how do teams project him to special teams? Can he play on coverage units? A guy like Springer's got the uh, mentality to play on, on, uh, uh, on special teams, on coverage units. But at 215 pounds and someone that's probably going to run the four sevens, 
really not much, a, a real try hard effort guy, as you would expect coming out of one of the uh, military academies. Now, quickly moving on to SMU, the team that has had 12 players drafted over the past decade, the highest of those being blossoming star receiver Cortland Sutton at number 40 to Denver in 2018. And in fact, Three of SMU's last four draft picks have been wide receivers, including James Prochet in April and Trey Quinn in 2018 during the same draft as Sutton. I believe he was Mr. Irrelevant that year as well. I might be wrong on that. But this year's top Mustangs prospect, really to nobody's surprise, is a wide receiver, and that is senior Reggie Roberson, managed over 800 yards and six touchdown catches each of the past two years, despite missing time and competing for targets with Prochet, who caught a lot of passes the past two seasons, propelling him to that sixth-round pick this past April. Now, Roberson's the number one receiver. He's a guy with solid size, big play speed, and a big season from him, which really could be coming down the pipe here, could move him quickly up draft boards. The Mustangs also have three offensive linemen with third-day grades, tackle Jalen Thomas, guard Hayden Howerton, and center Alan Ali, along with a developing quarterback in former Texas signal caller Shane Bouchel almost 400 yards, 34 touchdowns, and 10 interceptions last year. I mean, Tony, there's a reason this team, especially offensively, won 10 games in 2019. Solid unit. You know, not just college players, but a good number of NFL prospects, although most of them are last-day prospects, except for Roberson, who is head and shoulders above the, uh, above the rest. When he was on the field, he was dynamic. He was the big play downfield threat to James Prochet's underneath possession type of game. I mean, Roberson is a natural vertical receiver. He easily makes the reception downfield. Uh, opposing defensive backs are constantly trying to play catch up because he's a guy who is estimated to run in the low four fours, but he probably plays even faster than that. As you said, if he's able to stay healthy, now that he's the number one target, if he takes the next level, I personally have him graded as a third rounder. I can absolutely see Roberson developing into a top 45 choice because of the way he catches the ball, because of the fact he's got decent size, goes about 5'11", 205 pounds, and he is a legitimate downfield threat. He's going to go relatively early. Jalen Thomas is a solid college left tackle. He's fluid, moves his feet well, shows excellent lateral range. The only thing I question is, is he going to be tall enough to play left tackle? I've got him about six foot three, 309 pounds. He's very good in motion, which means a team could kick him inside and use him as a zone blocking guard. Definitely has next level ability. I presently grade him as a fifth rounder. You know, you mentioned Bouchelle, who had a tremendous campaign last year. Just a smart, tough quarterback, protects the ball, doesn't make bad passes, uh, patient in the pocket moves outside the pocket, keeps his eyes downfield looking for receivers. The thing with Bouchelle is he's more of a shortened intermediate range passer. Despite Reggie Roberson's ability to make the big big play down the field with the long pass, Bouchelle's downfield accuracy leaves a lot to be desired. Six foot one half inch. I, I, I like him, but I think he's more of a game manager who's going to be a late round pick. My top defensive player, a defensive prospect on SMU would be Delano Robinson, the inside linebacker, who a lot of scouts have just uh, basically ignored. He's probably under six foot tall, goes about a five foot 11, 235 pounds, runs and plays in the four sixes. Again, what we've seen a lot of in the draft as far as linebackers are concerned, the smaller explosive get from point A to point B as quick as possible to make a plan of ball. That's what Delano Robinson does very well.
Now moving a bit further east to take a look at South Florida, the Bulls have had 14 selections over the past 10 drafts. Defensive tackle Terrell McLean being the highest as the first pick in the third round back in 2011. Another defensive tackle, senior Kevin Kegler, is a player Tony had graded as a potential day two pick last year at this time. 2019, though, didn't really go his way, but he could be a last day pick with a bounce back season in 2020. Junior tackle Donovan Jennings is the Bulls' top prospect, though. Great size and athletic ability, really nicely protects the blind side and pass protection. And unlike many small school left tackles, he actually could stay at the position long term, which is certainly a nice boost to his draft stock. You know, Kevin Kegler, I, I think, was symptomatic of what we saw at South Florida in the sense that he never lived up to expectations. He was more flash than he was consistency, which is why they have a new head coach, which is why, you know, after years of making the postseason, they had a losing record. Uh, Kegler, you go back on 2018, uh, at times he was dominant. He's more of your sawed off, you know, undersized uh, defensive tackle who's explosive, who's got a great first step, who penetrates the gap, who also flashes power. And the problem was he was non-existent last year. I, I mean, you mentioned his stats. I, I mean, he flashed once every three games. Uh, even with that, there are some scouts who feel that he could slide into the late part of the draft if he has a big season, and I would agree with that. Donovan Jennings is a tall, fluid left tackle with good size, goes about 318 pounds. He looks relatively athletic. They've got a couple of defensive backs to keep an eye on. Nick Roberts, a junior safety, who's an explosive run defender, who's got solid ball skills. My, two seniors, Mike Hampton. Uh, and, and KJ Sales, the uh, North Carolina transfer. I think these guys are more free agent types, but they're feisty guys. I think you, who would do well at the next level in a zone type system where they're facing the action. Now we'll wrap up our look at the AAC's 2021 NFL draft prospects after this quick break. And we're back to take a look at the Temple Owls who have a AAC high 20 draft picks over the last decade including first-rounders Muhammad Wilkerson and Hassan Redick. And that success is set to continue looking ahead to the 2021 draft. Three players for the Owls with second-day grades, senior defensive tackle Daniel Archibong, good length and athleticism, limited production so far in his career. A lot of scouts do view him as a UDFA. Tony's a bit higher on him, and he's a player that does have upside and, and could enjoy a breakout campaign in 2020. Junior cornerback Christian Braswell got the opportunity to start last year due to Linwood Crump's injury, and played well enough to stay in the lineup the rest of the season. Solid ball skills despite his lack of size. Junior offensive tackle Isaac Moore, much like Donovan Jennings from USF, has good size and athletic ability, has day two potential as a draft pick, as well as the ability to stick at left tackle long term. Obviously, Temple has several other draftable prospects as well. Tony, break them all down for our listeners. Yeah, I mean, they've got seven guys that could be any, go anywhere from the second day to the fifth round, depending on the seasons that they, they have. You mentioned Braswell. He's a little bit of a smaller cornerback, uh, uh, probably goes about 5'9 5'10". Love his ball skills, but he's going to be downgraded because of the like, lack of height. Absolutely think he could be a nickel back at the next level. He's a fast guy. He plays fast. He's also a fierce guy, as many of the uh, defensive backs coming out of Temple usually are. Isaac Moore, I think you uh, set him up well. He's a tall, athletic, left tackle prospect who really stands out in pass protection. Uh, Daniel Archibong, uh, you know, I agree. I, I got him right now as a third rounder because I see the potential in him. He's got excellent size. He's very athletic. 
He's explosive with some of the transfers, uh, some of the players that had transferred in the graduations. He's going to take on more of a bigger role this year. If he responds with a big year, like I think he has the potential to, I think it will work out well for his, uh, his draft grade. They've got two receivers to keep an eye on, and they kind of have contradicting styles. Junior receiver Jaden Blue, who's your smaller, speedier, quicker guy. He's someone who can take it vertically. He's someone that gets separation through routes, a solid pass catcher. And then Brandon Mack. Right now I've got Mack graded as a fifth rounder. Goes six four and a half. 215 to 218 pounds. He's more of your typical possession receiver, although he's not a bad vertical threat. He doesn't have vertical speed, but when he gets free down, down the field, down the sidelines, he catches the ball very well, always wins out for the contested pass, plays big football. He's sure-handed, but it comes back to that conversation that Chris and I have had numerous times of, is he just a big guy who wins out on the college level who will struggle to separate in the NFL, or will he be able to, you know, find a way to separate in the NFL? I like Mac as a receiver. I am concerned about the lack of speed and quickness. One name to keep an eye on, and I know I'm going to butcher his name, defensive tackle Ifiani Maija, who gave serious consideration to entering the draft last year. He's a fourth-year junior. He's an explosive three-technique tackle. Goes about six foot one, 285, 290 pounds. He's athletic. He's got a ter terrific short burst of speed, fires off the snap, can change direction, make plays down the line of scrimmage, but he's got size limitations. So he struggles getting off blocks, which basically is going to limit him to a three technique type of uh, tackle. Although he's going to, he's a darn good one. Two more teams left on our list here. And the first one is Tulane. The green wave have had just nine NFL draft selections since 2011, five of whom, were cornerbacks, including Thaparius Keys, back in April. No draftable corners for the Green Wave this year, however, nor are there really any draftable prospects on the two-lane roster, but they do have two interesting senior defensive linemen. Cameron Sample, a two-year starter at defensive end, 11.5 tackles for loss and 5.5 sacks those two seasons. Not a big-time edge rusher, but can play solid football on all three downs. No more of a guy in the A.J. Epinesa mold, obviously not at that same level. For his fellow defensive end, Patrick Johnson, another third-year starter, was second-team All-AAC in each of those last two seasons, slumped from 16.5 tackles for loss, 10.5 sacks, and four forced fumbles in 2018 to 8.5 tackles for loss, four sacks, and zero forced fumbles last season. Lacks typical defensive end size, so he'll have to stand over tackle at the next level, but he also may not have the athleticism to get drafted to be a 3-4 outside linebacker either. Yeah, you know, they, they've, they're kind of different in the sense that Patrick Johnson's got good size but poor speed for outside linebacker. Cameron Sample's got poor size but good speed for defensive end. Sample's got some growth potential. It's a situation where he's going to have to get up to about 290 pounds from his present approximately 275 pounds to play at the next level. But he's athletic. He plays tough football, plays fundamentally sound football, so the potential is there. Uh, another underclassman tackle from the AAC, Joey Claybrook, the left tackle for uh, Tulane, is a guy to keep an eye on down the road. And Corey Dauphine, uh, the running back, who was graded last year by scouts but missed a lot of time last year, comes back. Uh, a real good situational third-down type back. He's got decent size, five foot 11, 200 pounds. He plays fast. He's a solid perimeter runner, very effective in space. Uh, if he has a big season, is able to rebound off of what was a poor 2019, I think he could slide into the late rounds. Now staying in the tees for our final AAC team, and that is Tulsa, the team tied with ECU and Navy for 
with the fewest NFL draft picks among current AAC teams with just three. Two of them came this past April, though, cornerback Reggie Robinson and pass rusher Travis Gibson after an eight-year drought. And that drought may start again. Just one draftable senior wide receiver, Keelan Stokes, who went over 1,000 yards receiving in 2019, but really doesn't stand out in any one area. But even if nobody is drafted next April for the Golden Hurricane, the drought's not going to last long because there is some definite underclassmen talent in the pipeline, starting with sophomore Xavier Gadlin, right tackle for Tulsa, but really has the size and athleticism to potentially be an NFL left tackle, maybe even a guard as well. Really great in terms of potential versatility. And while center probably isn't on the table for him, it is for junior Gerard Wheeler, who mans the pivot for Tulsa. Good size and strength, an average athlete, but both of these guys could be second-day options in the 2022 draft, barring some early declarations for next year's draft. Tony, even if 2021 looks bleak, how do you feel about Tulsa's draft future? Especially on the offensive line. I mean, both of these guys, Gadlin and Wheeler, they just got to physically develop. They got to get a little bit stronger, especially Gadlin. But I like their upside. Gadlin, you know, you watch him at right tackle. He moves well. He's fluid. He gets out on the second level. He can adjust. He's an agile guy. Like you said, I think he can play left tackle. At the very least, he's his own blocking guard. Wheeler's got terrific size. Six foot two, goes about 315, 320 pounds. He's powerful at the point. He's explosive. He gets out to the second level and shows the ability to adjust. So, you know, like Gadlin, I think he's got some scheme versatility in the sense that you could also you could use him in, in his own blocking scheme as well as a traditional scheme because of his size. You mentioned Keelan Stokes, who's a solid receiver. He's got decent speed, catches the ball very well. Also keep an eye on James Palmer. Reminds me a lot of Charles Clay, who came out of the Tulsa system, in the sense that he's a smaller tight end, H-back type of guy that you line him up in the backfield, you line him up in the slot. Real good pass catcher at the position. And again, like Gadlin, a third-year sophomore. So with Gadlin and Palmer, you got two third-year sophomores. In Wheeler, the center, you got a fourth-year junior. And really, as you said, the the only senior that's draftable on our board right now is Keelan Stokes. There are some people out there who like the quarterback, Zach Smith. I have him graded right now as an undraftable prospect. And that's it for the 141st episode of The Draft Analyst. Presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter, and we'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll be back next week to look at the Big Ten's 2021 draft prospects. But until then, for Tony Pauline, this is Chris Tripodi. Good night. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.